Easy choice. Halloween. Hello? Hello? <laughs> Must be some kind of a prank. <laughs> all right, everybody, back to some level of seriousness, if that's at all possible. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. You're listening to Phil at the Movies. I'm your host, Phil Walsh, and you are listening to episode number 47 of this ongoing podcast series that is for the love of movies. And if you couldn't guess, based on that little uh, little interactive start of today's episode, it is all about Scream. I thought with the release of the new film, Scream 6, which is now, as of this episode, one week away, I thought it was timely and appropriate to do a look back on the original film, its legacy, as well as my my favorite sequel in the franchise, in preparation for next week's new film. Now, of course, uh, as everyone uh, who know uh, who listens to this show knows, my uh, my heart belongs in Haddonfield, Illinois. My uh, my heart belongs to to Michael Myers and and to Laurie Strode. But uh, if I uh, if I had to choose a second favorite horror uh, franchise, if you will, slasher franchise, it would definitely be the Scream movies. They are. They're fun, they're inventive, they're original, and frankly, they can be scary as well. It's sort of a great combination of, uh, of all genres really coming together to create a, uh, an all-around perfect horror film. And certainly when this movie came out back in 1996, uh, that was a time in which the, the slasher genre was pretty much dead on arrival after the uh, oversaturation in the 1980s. It didn't. It looked like the, uh, the 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 proverbial man in the mask with a knife movie had met its uh, met its end at last. But uh, that was not the uh, that was not to be the case. It took the creative genius of Kevin Williamson and the late great horror director Wes Craven to reinvent, rejuvenate, re-energize the slasher genre and really give us something new and exciting that we're. Frankly, still talking about here in the year 2023, new film just on the horizon. So there was there was magic back in 1996, and and everybody involved from from Craven to Williamson to all of the all of the cast of that original film they really captured something special that, as I said, we're still talking about here. And and Scream was a game changer. Not only was it critically uh, acclaimed, but but it has spawned four sequels, soon to be five, two TV shows. I mean, it's just been a, a major hit. And, and frankly, Ghostface, the, the, the masked killer in each of these films, who, of course, changes uh, the, the, the killer's you know, change in subsequent films, has been able to uh, enter the same conversation, if you will, as, as Michael Myers, as Jason Voorhees, as Freddy Krueger, in terms of being an iconic slasher villain so uh that's uh that's what's on the on the docket for today a look back at the original scream it's it's legacy as well as my uh my favorite entry in the franchise which uh i think mine is uh definitely more of an outlier but uh i'll share those thoughts with you in just a few moments uh, a little bit of housekeeping to start uh as always with uh today's show first off if you have not done so already this would be a great time to rate and review this podcast as well as to subscribe and in the words of michael keaton's batman tell all your friends 
um, about this podcast. Tell uh, your family, tell your neighbors, anybody who you think might enjoy listening to a fellow movie buff go on and on and perhaps too long at certain points over his love of movies. Lastly, as always, I want to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in each week and supporting this show. I've said it before, and I will keep on saying it. You guys make it all the more worthwhile. This has been a passion project for me going on over a year now, and I will continue to do this as long uh, as my voice uh, will let me. But uh, the response and engagement and encouragement from you, the listeners, has just been fantastic. And I appreciate each and every one of you, the friendships that have been made along the way. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. A simple phone call. That's what started this whole thing back in 1996. Started the movie. We were introduced to the character Casey Becker, played by Drew Barrymore. Again, think this is 1996. Drew Barrymore is really just burst onto the scene. She's a huge star. And going into this film, the conventional wisdom was everyone believed she was going to be the star. She was going to be the heroine. She was going to be the final girl, if you will. And spoiler alert ahead, if you haven't seen this movie, now's a good chance to to step away from the podcast and come back after you've seen the first film. So I've uh, I put out my, my disclaimer. The brilliance of Scream is in that first ten minutes of the, of the original movie. All of the satirization of the slasher genre, all the brilliant homages, the the send-up of the tropes, the acknowledgement of the rules of a horror movie, the, the meta take, if you will, on the genre, all of that is noted, all of that is important, the performances, the writing, the direction, all of that is key, but for me, the brilliance of the film, the brilliance of the franchise starts with that opening. Because that opening is what sold the film. The opening is what made the film what it is and has carried it on all the way. Here we are in 2023. That opening, I think, is the major reason, if not the sole reason, why this film connected and why we're still talking about it, why we're still seeing it today. It's the brilliance of subverting expectations. As I said, going in 1996... People think Drew Barrymore, she's going to be the final girl. She's going to be the star of the movie. It makes sense. She's a big star at at that point in time. Well, of course, the big twist, the big, uh, if you will, tribute to to Psycho with, uh, of course, Janet Leigh's character being killed off very early on in Psycho is they do the same exact thing to Drew Barrymore's character of Casey Becker. Within the first 10 or so minutes, she dies. She doesn't survive. And that right there was a stroke of brilliance because it immediately says to the audience, this is not what you are going to expect. This is going to subvert your expectations with a horror movie, with a slasher movie. Things are going to be upside down. And audiences bought it. They connected with it. And therefore, in a way, it almost it allowed you to invest in the stories of Sidney Prescott and Gail Weathers and Dewey Riley, all of these other characters who, I mean, again, played brilliantly by Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox and David Arquette, 
But I mean, they were not necessarily huge stars on 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 the level with Drew Barrymore at the time. I mean, you could argue, you know, Courtney Cox probably had the most star power at, at that particular moment, given given her uh, her her role on Friends. But I mean, Drew Barrymore sort of was the uh, was the it girl, if you will. And then for her not to uh, survive the opening, oh my gosh, what a what a twist, what a turn of events. But it worked. It's brilliant. And what is so fantastic about that scene, in addition to its subverting the audience's expectations, is that the the scene itself, literally 12 minutes long, the scene itself almost works as a short movie. It, it, it's, it's a self-contained story that ultimately has a larger impact on the bigger story, which is the movie itself. But, but the scene... Uh, in the 12 minutes, really works like a short film. You have a girl, home alone, ready to watch a movie. She thinks her boyfriend's coming over, and then she receives a mysterious phone call from a mysterious stranger who begins to taunt her and begins to ask her questions, random questions, in a way. What's your favorite scary movie? Tell me this, tell me that. And then finally, he turns the tables, and there's this brilliant, brilliant line where she, you know, kind of playing along with him, kind of flirting on the phone, and then she's like, "So, you know, you know, why are you asking this?" Again, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, why are you asking all this? She's like, "Oh, I just want to, you know, you know, know what you look like. You know, want to know who I'm talking to." And she's like immediately freaked out at that particular moment because she realizes that this is not just some random weirdo calling her, but this is maybe someone who's lurking outside, maybe someone this is uh, somebody who's watching the house, and the tension immediately spikes at that particular moment. It's a brilliant crescendo of music and pacing and then finally paying off with with this dramatic revelation that of course uh, that the killer uh, soon to be revealed as Ghostface is outside the home and eventually confronts and, and ultimately kills uh, Casey and it's really this this sort of scary and, and tragic scene uh, because her parents are arriving home and yet she's unable to get to them because she's chased out of the house and she, before she can call out for help she she meets her her tragic demise and I mean just talk about a way of grabbing the audience and and saying buckle up because you are in for a different kind of a horror movie a different kind of a slasher movie and as I say that opening scene that whole 12 minutes it worked because it not only got the audience to question everything because you've now killed Drew Barrymore in the first 12 minutes so we know this isn't going to be a Drew Barrymore movie so now you've killed off one of the biggest stars in the world at that time. You've now turned the, the conventional wisdom on its head. And you've also established that this is a movie where not only do we have a killer who's going to be talking. Because you think about up to this point, most of the masked killers. I mean, Freddy's sort of the exception, though he isn't really, isn't really masked. Most of, of the of the the big slasher villains, if you will, of the late 70s and 80s, think Michael Myers, think Jason, they didn't talk. That was their, their shtick, if you will. And and Ghostface is not only talking, but engaging with with his, his victims, <laughs> if you will, over the phone. So again, automatically, different kind of a, of a movie villain. And then on top of that, you layer in sort of the nods and references to other horror movies. And so... They're sort of like acting out their acting out their their lives, but doing so in the context of 
a horror movie and being aware of it and having enough sense to know the ins and outs of slasher movies, but then at the same time actually being in one <laughs> themselves. It, it's a, it's just such a brilliant kind of play on 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 the tropes, play on the on the the stories and movies that came before, but sort of packaging it up in a new way for the 90s with a with you know hip writing and 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 just cultural references which everybody got at the time and so it just sort of all it all came together but as i said that opening scene that opening 12 minutes that is what sold me for this movie it's why i became invested in this in this franchise and i think it's why audiences the world over connected with it because it's those 12 minutes that that sell it it's a perfect opening because right off the bat we the audiences realize that we're in to see something different and this is a movie that's also aware of the uh, quote-unquote rules of a horror movie and aren't afraid to play with those rules and even break them and maybe even uh, go ahead and, and make some uh, in their own right. So, I mean, on its, on, its, on its face, I always say to people, you know, this was a movie, you know, because not everyone likes slasher films, not everybody likes horror movies. And, and I get that. You know, it's not everybody's cup of tea. You know, I, I, I live and breathe them. I, I think they're... They're, they're, in some cases, you know, they can be cinema. Uh, you know, Halloween being an example. But, but I always say to people, especially if you're not a fan of, of sort of the, you know, quote unquote, realistic uh, material. I mean, certainly, you know, Halloween is, is definitely uh, you know, a heightened reality. But there is something, um, you know, more in a way dramatic because of just the characterization of Michael Myers and 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 the setting of the story. But uh, and it can be intense for people, and I get that. So I always say, particularly for you know for those who might be on the fence of, oh, I don't know if I want to watch it. I don't know if I want to you know watch a a slasher movie, watch a quote unquote scary movie. And I always say, Scream is is a nice uh, sort of gateway, <laughs> if you will, because it's it is it is certainly uh, I- intense, and it was intense at the time. But in addition to the thrills, in addition to the scares, and in addition to the gore. There's not only a great story, and it's a great story of survival and and overcoming past traumas and, and sort of you know coming out from under the the secrets of, of, of families and, and and mothers and daughters. All of that is there. All of it is brilliant, but it's also a film which really acknowledges the the, the genre. It acknowledges the slasher movie. And it's not a fl- not afraid to to play around with the rules and, and sort of say this is the premise, this is the box of, of of toys, if you will, that you will find in a horror movie. You have your slasher, you have your final girl, you have your best friend character, you have all the quote unquote rules, if you will, that that sort of have been bred into or bled into uh, horror movies, particularly in the 1980s. It was sort of this running running critique that these movies were, were sort of you know presenting you know, you know characters who did drugs or characters who had sex you know they ultimately met their end and there's sort of an acknowledgement of that in this film but as I said they're not afraid to 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 to, to break those rules in a way um, and, and one of course being with the character of, of Sidney Prescott who is who is for all intents and purposes a a modern uh, final girl, uh, you know, kind of draws from all of the great ones that came before, but but she is her own character, and, and it's she's a fully developed and, and realized character with 
with a traumatic and, and tragic background stemming from the death of her mother, which predates the movie story by a year. And we're still seeing as the movie starts, she's really dealing with the effects of that. And it's sort of interesting because most of these of these slasher films, the, the, the final girl, if you will, and the killer, usually meet through events. It sort of happens um, because of the story in, in, in some ways or, or just a random act. In Scream, you really have a situation where the killer and and the and the the final girl are almost connected from the start and it's not a a, a family connection though that that does become a storyline in later films in the original movie and again full spoiler uh if you haven't seen it but uh it is revealed of course the big revelation is that the one of the killers is two but the main Ghostface killer is in fact Sydney's boyfriend, and so that's kind of an interesting kind of sort of twist, if you will, because you automatically you know assume that the killer and, and the and the victim may or may not uh, may, may or not know each other, or, or or only will know each other sort of on the periphery. Well, in this particular case, the the final girl and the killer are boyfriend and girlfriend, and that's a major narrative point throughout throughout the movie. And kind of to draw back when I uh, mentioned about the, uh, the the rule breaking, uh, it's established early on in the film that characters who have sex, you know, again going back to the old uh, slasher tropes, they ultimately you know usually meet their their end. Well, Sydney takes that rule and ends up breaking it in this movie. So there there is that kind of you know acknowledgement of what uh, what has come before, but also saying you know we're not afraid to. Uh, to shake things up, and that's something again I really like about this movie that it it acknowledges all that has been out there in the genre, but it's also not afraid to uh, to mess things up and and make new rules. But sort of getting back to to the character of Sydney and sort of her her connection to the story, it, it it's really the, the the heart of it. It's really the the the, the driving force because there's so, still sort of this unsolved mystery aspect of. Of who uh, who killed her mother, or maybe it, you know she, she uh, accused the wrong person. There's all these sort of uh, interesting facets going on throughout the movie. That of course the big uh, revelation is that her boyfriend has been responsible for all these things, and and he's revealed to be revealed to be the killer. And like I said, that's just sort of a, a another interesting uh, nod and twist, if you will. I mean. Right off the, 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 the bat, if you will, we're presented, and, and that's another thing Scream does. It sort of establishes a bunch of red herrings and, and possible suspects throughout each of the, the movies of who may be the killer or, or killers. Uh, as I said, there's two killers usually in each film. But the film does a brilliant job at, at sort of presenting her boyfriend, Billy, as a, a likely suspect, a likely killer. And then going out of its way, story-wise, to almost convince us, the audience, that he's not the killer. So that when the revelation does happen at the very end, we're actually shocked uh, as hell when it happens, even though it's been staring us in the face all along. And again, part of that, I think, just comes down to A, performances, but also the writing. The writing in this movie, I mean, frankly, in all of them, but particularly in the original, is so 
sharp and it, it really is a a model for a perfect screenplay because you have really an ensemble cast of characters and everybody sort of both serves a purpose to the story but also everybody is developed and realized there's no disposable character in this film everyone from the the the, the deputy Dewey Riley all the way to to Tatum Riley, Sydney's best friend and Dewey's sister, all these characters have a purpose in the story, but they're also their own characters. They have their own personality. They have their own traits. As I said, the writing is so sharp and it's so sophisticated and smart, and and you just can't help but get caught up in this in this world because it's not like anything that came before it. Even though this movie is a love letter to the slasher genre, there's a lot of great uh, tributes and, 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 and homages to Halloween and other films of the 1980s. It really is its own unique thing. And it's, and it's not afraid to sort of say, this is what came before and we're putting our, our, our mark here. This is something new, something different. And, and it just worked. It worked on so many different levels because I think one audiences will never grow tired of these movies I I believe that I think that's why we're seeing this resurgence in not only horror films but but really slasher killer in a mask killer whatever killer robots you know all of that is relevant again and I think again there's always cycles with these with these types of movies and I think you figure the 1980s the slasher genre was big. They sort of dropped these movies every other week. I mean, you had Friday the 13th just explode from 1980 through the early 1990s. Freddy Krueger, of course, came on the scene during that time. You had all of this really starting in the shadow of Halloween and Michael Myers. And, of course, Michael was back in the 80s. I mean, it was a, it was the, the heyday, if you will, the golden age for, for slashers. But like any age, like any... Like any fad, like any any trend, eventually the cycle wears itself out. So by 1995, you figure we're already at, just to talk about Halloween, we're already at Halloween 6, and the franchise feels exhausted. It feels worn out. They're not making as much money anymore. They're, they're, the critical <laughs> acclaim or lack thereof is going down and down and down, and it's to the point where it seems like as I said at the start, the slasher genre is dead on arrival. And I think part of that was audiences were aware of the tricks. They were aware of the tropes of the genre. You know, killer in a mass, indestructible killer. You have your final girl, who's usually the, the quiet, repressed, reserved virgin. You have the the friends who were promiscuous. I mean, you have all these elements that are, they're of course, associated with, with these films, but had sort of been there and oversaturated the marketplace and and people's attention spans up until that point. So you have 1996, Scream comes along, and it's a movie that nobody expects. Nobody is, is looking for this kind of a movie, and that's usually how these things go. You catch lightning in a bottle, and it just it works. People were ready for something different. And this was a movie that not only could draw in bands of... of the genre, but also new audience and new members and new, uh, you know, people who may not, you know, care about a slasher movie, but might be caught up in the story, might be caught up in 
the world and, and drama of Sidney Prescott. And you, you put all that together, you have great acting, you have great writing, you have music, you have just all the right elements, and it's a perfect film. And I think it, it worked because audiences wanted something different, and they were ready at that point for something they didn't even know was was on the horizon. And it took Kevin Williamson, who was a big fan of Halloween and wanted to sort of do a, a tribute, do a love letter to that film and to the whole whole genre. You bring in Wes Craven. I mean, the man created Freddy Krueger after all and, and, and had done all these other countless horror films. And even he himself at that point was sort of feeling exhausted with the genre and was looking for something new. I mean, it was the perfect meeting of the minds. And again, the result is a franchise that is now soon to be on its sixth film in just a week. And and people people are aware of it. It has been satirized itself. I mean, for a film that was sort of you know acknowledging the the, the world and rules uh, and 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 tropes of a slasher movie, it itself became uh, satirized and 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 pleasantly mocked, if you will, in the scary movie franchise. I mean, you know, one one good scare ultimately led to another, and just sort of a an interesting factoid for those of you uh, who may uh, may find it interesting. The film itself was originally called Scary Movie, and ultimately, you know, the title, of course, is Scream, but it's sort of interesting that, you know, that was the title going into it. That was a title that everyone was aware of up until, I think, really like a week or two uh, before the film was, uh, you know, so, sort of set to be uh, greenlit with... Um, you know, with uh, you know trailers and all that, it was called scary movie, kind of you know a, a, an in joke, a reference to the fact that it was a scary movie. You know, acknowledging the 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 the, the tropes and the slasher uh, rules and whatnot. Uh, but you know, scream scream works. I mean, and I think scream is is one of the things. It's it's singular. It's like Halloween. It, it, you immediately say it and and you get it, and it conjures up any number of feelings or or emotions, but. I mean the the film the film itself it, I rewatched it just the other day and kind of in preparation for it and uh, and it's just such a it's just such a fun edgy film like like you know certainly at the time you know with with the blood and with the with all those elements like it definitely it pushed uh, that envelope right up until uh, you know that point I mean now it's it's rather tame and and we wouldn't think and uh wouldn't think a, 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 a second look at it, but I mean, back then, you know, certainly it was a little more on the risky side, and certainly the story itself was was going in a in a different direction. I mean, you had a a flesh and blood killer, if you will. It's not a you know a Michael Myers or a Jason Voorhees who's going to come back in each sequel, even though the ghost face mask and costume are always worn by the killer. Each killer is is defeated at the end of each movie and I think that was again sort of something new something different and I mentioned it earlier it really is an interesting love letter to to I mean to the genre but I think in particular to Halloween and and right off the bat you know we have the character of Billy Loomis who you know is is Sidney's boyfriend and ultimately revealed to be one of the killers but I mean the the name of Loomis I mean right up there you, you know you know you're drawing reference to uh, to, to Donald Pleasance in Halloween with his character of Dr. Sam Loomis. Uh, even just sort of 
you know, interesting shots, sort of, you know, have that Halloween feel where, where Sydney and her friends are walking through the sleepy town of Woodsboro, uh, sort of the, the lurking shots of Ghostface in the movie. It all just sort of screams, if you will, Halloween. And then uh, at the very end of the film, the climax, when they're all at this party, they're actually watching Halloween. So I mean, it just those little nods as a fan of, of Halloween to Michael Myers, Laurie Strode, those I always appreciate. And I really picked up on them in this uh in this last viewing more so than I probably had you know had paid attention before. It's it's there. All these little nods, all these little references to to past films, to other horror films, they're all there and it and it really enhances it because especially if you're a fan of of these types of films and these and these movies, it's fun to sort of say, Oh wow, did you catch that reference? Oh they're talking about that movie there, or okay, they dropped a, a Basic Instinct reference. Like just all these little things that just sort of make the movie a complete package, where you can sort of watch it on on so many levels. You can watch it on the meta, t- you know, sort of taking a, taking on a horror movie and and doing sort of the inside out inverse reaction to it. You can watch it as a straightforward slasher movie. You can watch it in many ways as as a teen drama. You can watch it, I think, as a, a brilliantly done uh, film in terms of <laughs> in terms of direction, in terms of editing, in terms of uh, cinematography, in terms of writing. It sort of it it really crosses every realm and again it's it's been with us now all these years. Again we're going into the sixth installment. I mean a lot of times, you know, movies you know come and go, or or you may get one or two sequels, and then they fizzle out. I think these films have lasted in part because there has been a consistency throughout each film. Every movie, with with varying except exception, every film has had the same director, the same writer, same production staff. The, the main trio, if you will, of Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette, characters of Sidney, Gale, and Dewey, they have been in every single film up until now. And going into Scream 6 will be the first time, actually, without the characters of, of Dewey and, and, and Sidney. So it's going, to be, it's going to be interesting, really, looking at the sixth film, because... It does sort of feel like we're heading into new territory, but I'll save all that for my my review and reaction on the movie in a couple weeks. But I think that's part of why the films have endured, because there's been that consistency. You've had that connection with the three main characters. You've had the same sort of storyline, but it's developed and expanded in each film. the the knock and it's I think a fair criticism of other slasher films. Take Friday the Thirteenth. Take Halloween in the in the early days. You sort of got through one or two sequels and then it was sort of like a uh, an etch a sketch moment or or, or or rolling of the dice. It, everything changed. The only consistency usually was the masked killer and and bringing in new writers, bringing in new directors, bringing in new everybody. And, and there's sort of you lose that that connection, you lose that intimacy. And and Scream has been fortunate because, like I said, you've had the same cast, same 
producers saying pretty much everybody from the start. And, and you know, now the franchise is sort of going into a into a different space, different direction. Um, you know, there's been you know, now you know new set of directors for the last film and now the new one. And as I said, the big change is now the new film will not have Dewey and uh, and Sydney. So that'll be kind of interesting to see how the story goes. But I, I think in many ways that's almost needed. You have to sort of change up the narrative a little bit if you if you want to keep the storyline going. And certainly, you know, when you're on number six, it, it definitely shows something is working, something has has connected here. But I sort of look back on, on these movies. And I again I don't profess to be an expert. So I mean for all of you uh, all of you you diehard scream fans, if I have if I have uh, misquoted or, or, or uh, gotten something wrong, please you know, this is the time chime in. Uh, the uh, the message the DMs are open. But um, you know, I, I look back this at, at all of these films and I say, you know, they're they're all smart, they're all sophisticated and they all Deliver now. There are some I like more than others, but there there is a in, a in addition to the consistency with the with the cast and crew, there is a consistency in terms of the quality. Most of the time, again, I say this is someone who loves the genre, loves these types of films. Usually, once you get out of two or you know some cases three, quality really goes downhill. And I mean, I think. Friday the 13th is a classic case where, you know, films just kind of, they, 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 the, the quality has not necessarily improved, you know, post, you know, the original uh, and, and the second. I mean, you know, to varying degrees, and I understand everyone has their own opinions, but I just throw that out as an example that, you know, quality has not always been a, a marker, if you will, for the slasher films, particularly in the, the heyday. It was sort of a simple premise, usually a setting or something set around a holiday where a group of, of, of young people are, are targeted by a killer, usually in a mask, and then it's more just the story beats, okay, how is someone going to be killed in, in manner of you know, X, Y, or Z? Okay, maybe this time it's a chainsaw, maybe this time it's a, a meat grinder, and you know, those movies became more about the splatter, more about the gore, and less about the story. And of course, as everyone knows, I'm all about the story as much as possible. And that's something you see with the Scream films. In addition to the, the theatrics, and in addition to the scares and the thrills, there is a story. And the heart of the story has been this character of Sidney Prescott, who is really trying to outrun not only the character of Ghostface, but also her own ghosts, her own demons. And, and it really is a brilliant story of, of survival. And I think, you know, again, not to you know draw on the, the Halloween comparison, but I think there's a reason why some movies work and some of these movies don't. I think movies that are just there for the blood, there for the splatter, they're fine, but they come and go. You know, it's sort of a, you know, a dime a dozen. Halloween, and in this particular case, Scream, they've lasted and they've survived because we've been invested in the characters. You know, you're invested in the struggle of the final girl, and it's about their fighting back against adversity, them proving themselves and becoming stronger versions of themselves because of the situation. You know, you think of Laurie Strode, you think of Sidney Prescott. These are fully developed characters 
with their own unique personalities, their own quirks, their own traits, and you put them in these traumatic situations, and they ultimately grow and, and become, you know, stronger and, and and more complete people as a result of them. And that, and that's something that I really appreciate. And, and even you know, you take in Scream for again, Scream is an example. You have the character of Gail Weathers, who's this originally presented as like a obsessive. Uh, tabloid journalist, if you will, very obnoxious, very much in your face. And, and she's kind of presented as an as almost an anti-hero in that first movie. She's just there for the fame. She's just there for the glory. And Sydney and her butt heads, I mean, one, because you know they come from very different backgrounds, but also because Gail was this instrumental figure in the, the murder co- uh, trial uh, uh, involving uh, what happened to her, Sydney's mother and, and sort of all this press and, 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 and innuendo and, 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 and tabloidification, if you will, of a crime scene. So they're automatically kind of opposed to each other. But, you know, even a character like Gail, which, you know, sh- she could just be written as sort of a one-off character and she could meet her, you know, end at, in the first film, but she doesn't. She she grows. She has an arc, and then ultimately she's sort of responsible for for saving the day and 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 shooting the character of Billy uh, and, and saving Sydney. So it's sort of a nice little sort of you know moment where you see these these characters grow and and become better versions of themselves. You know, again, same even with with the character of Dewey, who who starts out is, is sort of this lovable oaf, if you will, in the first film. And that sort of carries on throughout m- many of the sequels where nobody takes him seriously. And he's sort of this, uh, you know, unless he's played for laughs because, you know, David Arquette just brings so much, uh, so much uh, compassion and so much heart to this character that you can't help but root for him the whole way. But but he goes through this, this, this arc, particularly over the course of, of these films, he sort of you know finds his voice, he finds his his purpose, and for a while it's you know he and the character of Gail are together and they're they're a couple, and there's sort of this you know feeling of a you know coming together circle is now complete with them. But I mean, I sort of look at Dewey's character, particularly now uh, after the last film, because his character uh, tragically uh, is killed off, and I'm still not over that. <laughs> you know, as 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 a fan, I. I you know, killing Dewey. Ooh, that that was that may have been a little too much. You know, for, even for me. But um, you know, in terms of story, in terms of uh, the character, it did feel like a natural progression and ultimately a, a, a sort of a natural end that that he would sort of go down fighting. You know, go, he evolves from being this sort of character that everybody laughs at, everybody doesn't take seriously and then he's ultimately responsible for for saving people and even though he he dies he dies he dies a hero he doesn't die in vain he doesn't die tragic and you know that's that's the kind of stuff that i think is a nice through line throughout all of these movies is this nice focus on characterization nice focus on on story and like i said you can look at all these films in in many different lens but but for me, I think why they've, they've lasted as long as it goes back to it's just a really good story. And that all starts in that first film. And as I said, that opening 12 minutes, that's what sold me. That's what connected me to this franchise was just the brilliance of the writing the, and, and the execution and the willingness to be unafraid and to say we're going to take chances, we're going to take risks. You know, can 
not to necessarily draw comparisons to Psycho, but I see with, certainly with the killing of Drew Barrymore's character, it's very, very similar to the death of Janet Leigh's character in, in Psycho. Just again, sort of subverting the audience and then you realize, okay, all bets are off. Anything can be on the table, and that's when you know you've, you know, you, as a writer, you've certainly you've, you've hooked the audience and you're bringing them along for the rest of the show. Because once you get through that initial shock, I mean, you could be there for pretty much anything, and that's something I really, really like about it. And you know, certainly Scream has gone on. There's been this franchise, but I, I really look at the first film as as a perfect, complete story. That, that ultimately has a nice beginning, middle, and end. And even though there have been the other films, it works in a way that, that you don't even have to, you wouldn't even necessarily need a sequel because it's, it, it, it doesn't try to say, okay, well, we're establishing a whole other set of films and, oh, you got to come back for part three and a half. Like, it's all, it's all contained. It's all right there from start to finish. We, we have a progression, we have an evolution, and we ultimately have a, a resolution. And... In addition to that, you got great dialogue, you got great characters, and and you've just got a, a a fun, thrilling film. This is one I always say to people too: watch it if you can with a crowd. Get a bunch of people together. Uh, it, it's always fun. It, it's always a good time, especially when uh, people haven't seen the film for the first time. I, I've always I always get a kick whenever I show this to people who've never seen it because they they don't know what to expect. I mean, they may have you know sort of heard about it in, in the cultural zeitgeist but they've never seen it necessarily from beginning to end and it's always a it's always a hoot and a half for me just to to watch somebody else watch it for the first time and, and get that 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 same reaction I did and that was that this is a damn good movie it's a damn good scary movie and it holds up all of these years later so I apologize I've been a little sort of you know rambling and, and all over the place uh, with this film but uh, I, I, I thought that was really the, the perfect way um, to sort of describe this film for me, that it's it just sort of, it's a little bit of everything, and, and, it, and it works, and I think it continues to work because everybody knew what they were doing, and everybody played to their strengths, and, and sometimes that's all you need, uh, with, especially with these types, uh, types of movies. But as I, as I look back on it now, and, and, and we're heading into the new film, and there's now been four other sequels. People always ask, oh, Phil, what's your favorite sequel? What's your favorite one? And, and I would say, you know, the original is sort of the gold standard. That really, none of them sort of, in my humble opinion, have come close to capturing that because it really was lightning in a bottle. The second one you know, probably is in the same beat, given that it came out a year later, but for me, that original is just sort of heads and shoulders above all the others. But of course, I know that I don't want to just give that answer. You know, I have to give something else. And so I've been looking back at it and I've been sort of revisiting these films off and on over the last few months in, in lead up to these into the new movie. And I can enjoy all of them, but, but for me, I think the best sequel and, and the one that I think captured the spirit of what the original was was doing, and maybe on another show I'll I'll get into the whole background and 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 sidebars of, of this particular movie. But my favorite, I think, of the, of, the, of all the sequels, 
is Scream 4. And the reason for Scream 4, I, I say that, is because Scream 4 did what Scream did in 1996. In 2011, Scream 4 was the first sequel in 10 years, and the world of horror had changed in a long time. During that time, you had had the found footage era come into focus. You had all of these other sort of you know, ghost movies in, in a way. You had the Saw films that had exploded on the scene. And, and, and you know, Scream and, and the slasher was sort of, uh, had, you know, maybe not gone by the wayside, but was sort of over there and, and people had, had, had moved on in a way. Oh, and of course you had remakes and reimaginings that had been going on. So the, the environment w was, was really right for a new screen movie to, in a way, satirize, in a way, acknowledge the world of horror up until that point. And again, similar to what the, the, the film in, in 2022 did with acknowledging the period of time that had passed, 2011's Scream 4 really took on the remake and reimagining culture of, of horror movies and I think did a brilliant job of taking that, of that era of films, if you will, and putting their own unique spin, uh, unique spin on it. And you know, a lot of the criticisms for Scream 4 sort of stem from the cinematography and, and sort of the, the, the way it looks. And, and I think it's brilliant. And, the, and again, the reason I say that is because it's, a, it's sort of a, a direct acknowledgement that they're doing something different, that they're changing things up, that they're acknowledging that this is still a Scream movie, but it's, it's subverting even your own expectations for a screen movie, and, and I like that. In addition, you know, you've got a return to the high school setting, which was, of course, the basis for the first film. You've got an interesting family dynamic with Sydney and her cousin, played by Emma Roberts, in the movie. You've got all of these different elements going on, sort of the, uh, the you know the wink and nod to the remakes and the, and the reimaginings. Of, of that day, as well as a kind of a, 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 a an interesting bookend, if you will, to to that particular story in the Scream franchise. And even though there were there was originally a whole other plan of movies set to, to come after it, and again I'll get into that maybe in another show. But for what for what we got, and, and for it being the first Scream movie in in ten years, and I and I have to say this was the second Scream movie that I ever saw. Uh, I saw the original going into 20, must be in 2011, but this was, this was the first sequel that I saw. I, you know, was coming out in theaters, wanted to see it, all right, got to, you know, get up to speed a little bit. So I watched the original and then sort of jumped right into it. So, I mean, probably blasphemy in some circles that I didn't watch them all in, in, in sequence, but... This was really my my introduction uh, at large, if you will, to the whole Scream franchise after the original. And I have to say, I, I got it instantly with this particular one. This one, it just it felt like it was capturing what the original was trying to do in 1996, 1996 which was acknowledging the genre, playing up the genre, bending the rules and then still telling a, a compelling story with great characters. And I think the characters in Scream 4 are on par 
with the characters in, in Scream 5, uh, Scream, uh, the original Scream, in terms of being memorable and, and, and original. And, and, I mean, frankly, the, 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 the killer who ends up being Sidney's cousin, which, you know, again, I thought was a, a sort of brilliant uh, nod and, and uh, acknowledgement to sort of the twisted family lore that often goes on in, uh, in these types of films. I mean, Scream 3 had done it before, but I thought 4 really just sort of was a nice... Uh, a nice twist of the knife, if you will, but the character of, of of Jill, played by Emma Roberts in the movie, she's one of the killers, and I mean, she's just terrifyingly brilliant in it, absolutely uh, unhinged performance, and, and she's right up there, I think, with with some of the uh, the originals uh, from from the, the the series heyday, but. No, I, I that is my favorite without question. Uh, sequel would would be number four because it's it it it's trying to be something different while also acknowledging what came before it and and sort of has that interesting balance and weight of being not only the fourth entry in the Scream uh, series but also acknowledging the world of horror at that particular time in, in 2011 and I thought it just worked absolutely brilliantly but. I promise it, at some point I will do a full sort of retroactive retrospective on the entire Scream series uh, at, at some point. But I, I just really wanted today to kind of, you know, sort of a, you know, do an appetizer, if you will, with, with regards to the original film, its legacy, and as well as my favorite sequel. And that kind of gets everybody ready for, for the new Scream. And I'll, I'll definitely be seeing it next weekend. And Hopefully we'll have it ready to go for uh, for the following week, if not the week after. But but certainly stay tuned on on that regard. But certainly if you're uh, if you're on the fence with horror films, if you're on the fence with slasher movies, and, and you maybe don't want to face down Michael Myers quite yet, try try Scream, try the original film because it's funny, it's sharp, and it's also a scary good time and. What more could you ask uh, with 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 a with a movie? What more could you ask? Uh, hopefully, that is uh, the same res- uh, the same phrase that I'm echoing after Scream Six next week. But uh, to be determined, uh, as they say. So with that, I think I have uh, I have uh, talked your ear off probably enough uh, today. Uh, Want to thank you as always for tuning in and hearing what I have to say on movies. I'll be back next week, and we'll do this all over again for the love of movies. Hello?
matters and are made possible by the Fair Use Act. Thank you for listening to Phil at the Movies.